Lightning is built on top of the main chain, so you are bringing your on-chain privacy with you. Although there's a transactional increase in privacy, if you send a UTXO from Coinbase to fund your channel, Coinbase knows that you sent that to fund your channel. Hello there from sunny Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? Okay, Bitcoin it dipped under $30,000 and I know some of you are a bit spooked out there. Some of you are a bit bearish. Look, if you're a trader, I can't really help you. But if you are a hodler, all I can say is that, what is your thesis? It's a question, really. What is your thesis? I can't promise future prices, but my own thesis is built over multiple cycles, decades even. So yes, when price jumps, they are exciting, but you have to also accept there's going to be some drops. I personally don't trade, well, very, very tiny amount, like a minuscule, under 1% just to play around with, but I generally don't trade. I don't use leverage. I just stack sats, I buy spot, and I secure those bad boys. Now, I have got a DM today. That's what has triggered me to talk about this. Somebody who sold a house and has ended up using that money for trading and lost a bunch of it, and they are scared. Please do not take crazy risks out there. Please do not do this. Don't don't sell a house or sell a child and then use that money and leverage and get wiped out. It is ridiculous. You don't want to lose a home and you don't want to lose a child. So please be careful out there. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Christian Decker and Carla Kurt Cohen, where we're going to be discussing privacy on the Lightning Network. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors, and today we kick off with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And with Ledger, I've been a customer there since early 2017. And that Nano S I bought back then, I'm still using now. Because Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you are an Android phone user, you can connect the Ledger Nano S directly to it to manage your Bitcoin on the go. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Also, let's talk about Gemini my exclusive exchange sponsor, who are the only people I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. But as I keep telling you, I'm not selling. Not at these prices. No, I'm not selling. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better interface for this. Now, with their streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up we have is Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lloyd's TSB, my bank of 25 years, closed down my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin. And Revolut got in touch and they said, Pete, move over to us. We like Bitcoin. We got you covered. So I set up my account. I transferred everything over. I think I did it in a couple of hours. These guys love Bitcoin. They want to help you make it easier to transfer your money to exchanges. And now Revolut are offering $20 or £20 to all new customers that complete three card transactions. It does only take a few minutes to set up and you can create a card, add it to Apple Pay immediately and get that cash in your pocket. And you know what I would do. I would just convert that straight to Bitcoin. Now this is a new relationship and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin friendly. There is a lot to navigate, but we have got this. If you want to find out more, please head over to Revolut.com forward slash WBD, which is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. And also, let's talk about BlockFi, who have just announced the BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card is now available. So for people in the US who own or are interested in Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin 
because you get 1.5% rewards back on every purchase with no annual fee. But not just that. You can also earn 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership and everything you spend over 50000 annually will earn 2% in Bitcoin on every purchase. It is the smartest way to stack sats. And if you want to find out more, please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Okay, so onto the show. And this is the final episode in my Lightning series. Bit of a shorter one the last time, but we've covered some very cool stuff. And today we are talking about privacy and security on the Lightning Network. So we have Christian Decker back on the show after over two years. God, I love that guy. And also we are rejoined by Carla Kirk Cohen, who, if you remember, quite a while ago, I did a show with John Newbury in New York. And at the end of it, I was at Chaincode Labs. There were three residents there who came into the room. We spent 15 minutes together talking about Bitcoin and their experience, and it was awesome. And you know what? Carla isn't a resident anymore. She is a fully-fledged Bitcoin developer working at Lightning Labs, and she's crushing it. And you know what? She absolutely crushed it on the show too. Now, this one is a bit technical, (laughs) which you know for me is going to be a bit of a problem. But I think the topic of privacy and the potential vulnerabilities are really important to get into. And Christian and Carla are two of the most knowledgeable people on the topic. So I know you're going to love this. I know you're going to enjoy everything they cover. I mean, I didn't understand a lot of it, but I did leave feeling very reassured that we have the Lightning Network in some very capable hands. All right, I will pass it over to these guys, but you know what it's like. If you want to get in touch, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will get back to you. Okay, enjoy the show. Christian, hello, mate. I haven't talked to you for, I think, about, it feels like about two years. Yeah, it's it's been about two years now, I think. Yeah, two years. How are you keeping, man? Are you well? Yeah, quite good, quite good. It's been busy, but... Uh interesting so can't complain great and carla let's be honest we met before but i completely forgot about it i'm so sorry remind everyone where we met before because you've been on the podcast before yes very very briefly um although i was smiling so much at the time i don't think i could almost get a word in um i did a little guest appearance at the end of john newbury's episode with uh my fellow chain code residents amiti otua and Fabian Jahar, just to chat a bit about the experience of doing the long-form chain code residency, which is also where I met Christian, so that's a nice little uh, close circle there. And yeah, it's also been about two years since we spoke briefly. Yeah, I remember that 15 minutes where the three of you just sat there with these massive grins, <laughs> like the happiest people ever in New York, yeah. can hang out in New happy York, days. working on Bitcoin. But now you, you're, a, you're an old hat, you're a proper Bitcoin developer now. Yeah, I wouldn't call myself proper, um, but yeah, I'm working at Lightning Labs. Uh, after my time at Chaincode, the excellent tuition I got there from Christian and others, I uh, took a role with Lightning Labs where I work on their Lightning Loop project mostly and then also do a bit of work in the L&D implementation. All right, well, before we kick off with what we're going to cover today, because we're going to be talking about Lightning and privacy, uh, I think you should tell people a little bit about the Chaincode uh, a residency you did. Just explain what it is, because some people wouldn't have heard that show. They won't know what who Chaincode are, what the residency is about. But I think it's a really interesting thing just to, to just to let people know. Uh, sure. Uh, Chaincode is a magical place. It's an office in New York where Bitcoin developers get to go and work on free and open source Lightning and Bitcoin software. Uh, I got to go there in 2019 with a group of about 10 other developers where they were running what they call the Chaincode residency. 
So we were really fortunate. It was about two weeks of seminars and people like Christian, Fabrice, uh, Rene Picard, a bunch of Bitcoin and Lightning developers came in and gave us a great overview of the, of the network and the system and the protocol and how everything works. And then we were the first group that got to do this. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, the last, we also had a glorious two-month period where we just got to stay in New York, work on projects that we were interested in and really like dig into Lightning and Bitcoin deeply which is where I first started really meaningfully contributing to L&D. Um, now that the pandemic's hit, Chaincode has been running those seminars, seminars online, which I think it's really great. Uh, a colleague of mine who's just started, Alma Ton, went through the Lightning seminars and now she's working at Lightning Labs. So I can advertise the remote version very highly as well. Uh, they're open on GitHub. They do run them every few months. You get into a small group, you do calls, you discuss all the content from our original seminars, because everything's on YouTube, everything's open source. And then you discuss it with a group of your peers. So I think it's it's a really, really uh, great program. Adam Jonas over Chaincode has just moved mountains to get people into Bitcoin dev. And other thing I'll mention, just because it's also something I'm involved with, uh, when I was at that residency, I got to meet John Newberry, who's now started an organization called Brink. And they're mm -hmm. also looking at uh, improving the Bitcoin developer funnel, uh, specifically through grants to developers. Like a lot of devs have uh, funding from Brink to work on projects. And with what I think is a wonderful program called the Fellowship Program, which Gloria Zhao is currently in. And that's really just an extension of this Chaincode residency. It's a year. You go join them in their office in London and you onboard onto Bitcoin Core. And I am one of the members of the board of Brink, where we take applications for grants and fellowships. And I also think that's a great extension to the Bitcoin developer funnel, which is very much inspired by and of the same quality as the Chaincode residency. Amazing. Yeah, I, I love the work John Newbury's doing there. We made a small donation. Hopefully next year we can make a bigger one, but I love what he's doing there. And so you're at Lightning Labs, which is amazing. Um, is any of your code now out in the wild? Are people using the uh, Lightning Network and your work that you've done, deployed code, is being used? Uh, yes, my code, in my opinion, made its way out alarmingly fast. I felt very new. And sort of when I arrived, I was immediately digging into adding. So my first big change, I guess, was adding a feature called upfront shutdown, which helps you close out in the happy case, helps you close out your channels a bit more safely on Lightning. Um, and it was deployed you know, after a few months of review because we don't uh, add new contributions likely, but it has been out in the wild since about L&D 0.9. Amazing. Well, it's great to catch up with you. I mean, I've interviewed Amita as well, which is awesome. So it was great to catch up with her. Christian, it must be great for you as well, though, seeing these people come through the program and onboarding and just out there, just contributing to the network. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's always a joy to be, to be able to speak to people about the more obscure details of the protocol and uh, sort of uh, sort of then seeing them uh, join the community and and help out because that's that's ultimately what we need in, in the Bitcoin community. More people that are knowledgeable, that are able to contribute to these projects and uh, basically then surpass us eventually to to uh, to uh, come uh, come up with new uh, and interesting ways of doing things. Um, so we're definitely training people to replace us. Um, but uh, the the whole project also has a has a nice side effect of uh, of us ba basically being able to uh, meet in real life and uh, and uh, and talk people through uh, things both as a um, as as instructors but also as uh, between between specification people as well. 
So we we took the uh, the opportunity back in uh, back in 2019 in New York also as well to to work on the specification itself. So uh, Fabrice was there, uh, I was there, Rene was there. So we we had a lot of very interesting discussions that uh, that proved to be very fruitful for the specification development itself, and of course our uh, the, the various impl uh, implementations as well. So it's 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 an awesome project, and uh, I would love to resume the in-person meetings again. Um, and there's always there's always interesting stuff that that comes out of these meetings, and they're they're just huge fun. So if uh, if anybody wants to wants to be an instructor next time, uh, I can only I can only highly recommend it. Well, I want to get back to in-person interviews. I've done a few. I did a, a few over the last couple of months when I was traveling, um, but I want to get back to in-person because it's, it's a lot better. Uh, we did two shows together, I believe, when I did my lightning series, which was a couple of years ago. And I, you know, at the time, Christian, I was still a little bit like, oh, I've got no use for lightning. I mean, I understand why it's important. And it's like, it's cool that it works. I just, I just don't need it. But my trips back and forth to El Salvador completely changed that because, uh, pretty much the majority of people that I meet there, they are using the Lightning Network. The, there's very few actually using the base chain. Uh, all the all the uh, vendors who are accepting Bitcoin in El Zonte, uh, whether it's the papisseria, the coffee shops, they all just want Lightning payments. And it was a real game changer for me. I kind of realized there are places where Bitcoin is being considered as a medium of exchange. And so I was talking about this and Renee got in touch. He said, Pete, you need, you need to touch on this subject again. So I've already recorded three shows. I had Jack Mallers come on and shout very loudly about Bitcoin, which was uh, is always a pleasure. I did one with Andreas and Renee. I'm going to do another one, Renee, talking about his Picard payments. Um, and I did another one with the Raspberry Blitz guys talking about nodes. But today we're going to get into privacy things. And, and as per Christian's suggestion, Carl is going to lead the way on this. And uh, Christian's going to dip in occasionally. And I know, Carla, you're very excited about doing this. So really, I think a good starting point is to, is to get into or for you to start explaining the state of privacy on the Lightning Network and why the Lightning Network is more private. Because someone like myself, I've always struggled with trying to achieve privacy on the base chain. There's so many things I have to think about. I have to think about my browser. I have to think about my wallet addresses. I have to you know, think about coin joins. There's just so many things to think about. I know someone of my level would just screw it up. So I don't really operate with particularly high levels of privacy uh, using the base chain. But uh, when I talk to the Bitcoin experts like yourselves, I get this kind of explanation that when you're using the Lightning, Lightning Networks, it is inherently more private. So Probably a good starting point is to explain why it's more private and the state of privacy on the network. Um, sure. I think I'll start at a really high level, so the Lightning 101, which helps us out a bit with mm -hmm. privacy. Um, so if we think about the way that we transact on the base chain, if you want to make a payment from your node, you sign the payment, the transaction, and you broadcast it. And when you broadcast it, Actually, what you're doing is getting up in the soapbox and saying, hey, everyone in the entire world, I would like to make a Bitcoin transaction. Please, will you tell everyone you know that I would like to make this Bitcoin transaction so that the miners will find out about it and eventually it'll make it into a block, right? So that's sort of flooding the, ne the network with transactions which you want to get into a block. And of course, once they get into a block, then they're on the public ledger, which everyone has access to. Um, and then, of course, we know there are companies like Chain Analysis that will take that public ledger and examine it and try and correlate UTX. Uh, uh, yeah. 
them guys. Um, Fuck them guys. Yeah. Um, Sorry. And they will try and take no, no reaction. Reaction justified. Um, but they will try and take this public ledger, and they will say, okay, how can we identify individuals from this information we've got? And then the other thing they'll do, which I can't be certain, I don't know if we're certain they're doing it in practice, but because of the nature in which we spread these transactions through the network, they can, in theory, spin up a bunch of Bitcoin nodes and connect to as many Bitcoin nodes as they can, right? And they just need a few servers to do this. They're such a big company. They have all these ridiculous government contracts. I'm sure they have money for it. And connect to all of these nodes. And so when I get up on my soapbox and say, hey, everyone, I want to broadcast this transaction. I'm the first person who's, who sent that from my node they're connected to. So they can try and trace you within the network and within the way you actually broadcast these transactions. And that's actually a lot of what you chatted to a media about on a podcast and the media is really passionate about addressing the way in which we broadcast on the base chain to make that a bit more private. Um, and then when we take it into Lightning, we have a very different way of transacting. We don't do this big flood of transactions through the network. We do it in a much more private way. So the first thing we do is we open up a payment channel. I know you discussed this with uh, Renee and Andreas, but there's one transaction on chain which opens this payment tra- uh, channel. And once we have this payment channel open, we can use that to send and receive in the Lightning Network. But when we do send and receive using that single on-chain output, we don't tell everyone in the Lightning Network that we're going to send this transaction because then we wouldn't really be scaling. And part of the point of the Lightning Network is to scale. So instead, we wrap everything up in a very nice onion and send it through one route in the network. So only the people who are on path in that payment, so the people between me and the people I'm paying, can actually uh, see that this payment has occurred. And even though they can, it's onion routers, so they can only see who it's coming from and who it's going to. And we can dig into that a bit more later in the podcast. But essentially what this means is that senders get really good privacy um, because no one can see where it's going. And receivers get some improvement in privacy, although we still have some quirks to work out there. But once you've opened this channel on chain, you send and receive and you can do all of these transactions and you can route and all of these things. And when it becomes time to return to the chain, the only thing that closes out on chain is the aggregation of all of those transactions. So it shows a change in balance in that uh, channel. So say I started with zero and you had a Bitcoin. Maybe when we close out, we each have half a Bitcoin. So there is knowledge that a change in balances has occurred. But we could have sent half a Bitcoin between ourselves. We could have sent a thousand transactions back and forth. We could have you know, just had a payment router through our channel and actually not interacted with each other at all. And so that level of aggregation that we achieve is really nice in that there's not so much information on the public record. Um, and on the network itself, everything is onion routed, so it's much more private. Uh, one thing I think when you mention, oh, it's a bit difficult for you to manage your UTXOs, one thing I think that we do leave behind a bit when we talk about live, Lightning privacy, and Anthony Browning's got a great article that he put out a few months on this, is that Lightning is built on top of the main chain. So you are bringing your on-chain privacy with you. Although there's a transactional increase in privacy, so when you send and receive, you have better privacy, if you send a UTXO from Coinbase to fund your channel, Coinbase knows that you sent that to fund your channel. And those channels on the Lightning Network are announced to everyone in the network so that we can route, much like we announce those transactions, which has a bit of a privacy issue because you announce your node's public key and your node's IP address in most cases when people aren't using Tor. And there it gets, it gets a bit tricky because suddenly we have UTXOs, we have IP addresses, and we have publicly broadcast information, just like the transactions on the on the base chain. And our companies could maybe come and try and learn this information and use it to cluster and de-anonymize people like they do on the base chain. 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's uh, the perfect difference here. Um, the uh, the difference between the groups that you're actually talking uh, telling about a certain transaction happening is, is quite limited when you, uh, when you talk about Lightning, whereas in, in Bitcoin you're basically, well, it's a broadcast, you're telling everybody, right? Um, but there's a second aspect to this, uh, which is the difference between uh, the information being persistent in, in Bitcoin, because chain, uh, chain, um, chain analysis uh, companies can basically come, come in uh, much, much later and basically ana analyze the blockchain. And because the transaction you've published to the blockchain is persisted, uh, they can basically work backwards from the current state and, and basically uncover your profile even, even afterwards. So if you thought you had perfect privacy right now and say, uh, sometime later there is a discovery that, uh, that makes it possible to create a profile on top of this, uh, uh, on top of the blockchain, you, uh, you might actually uncover the past profiles of users as well, not just the ones that are currently in the network. And this is in a stark contrast with the uh, ephemeral nature of, uh, of Lightning payments, because uh, the payments that are, uh, that are performed on a Lightning basis are only, told, uh, only shared with the involved parties, but uh, this information is also forgotten as soon as the parties go away. So there is no way for uh, a chain analysis company to basically go back in time and look at a persistent trace and then build profiles on top of that. So there's this uh, persistent versus ephemeral nature of, of information. Uh, when it comes to actually looking at the uh, transaction propagation that Carlo was mentioning before, uh, where a chain analysis company can uh, basically spawn uh, spawn a number of nodes and look how the information is propagated in the network to identify roughly from which geographic location a transaction was uh, was started. That is not hard at all. I did that during my PhD and uh, during the first year. Uh, you open a couple of a uh, couple hundred connections and you see it then can trace where a transaction uh, uh, basically is is transferred on on the network itself. So I wouldn't put it past them to actually be doing this unless they're lazy. Well, my expectation is um, yeah, <laughs> I, my expectation is uh, chain analysis and Jonathan, I think is his name Jonathan Levine. I remember that guy's name, the guy who likes working for governments. Um, my expectation is they're doing something. They're, they're trying to see how they can get data out, out of the Lightning Network. Uh, I'd be very surprised if they weren't. So I do have a few questions. Uh, Carl, I wrote a few, few things down here. Firstly, look, I know what onion routing is, but there's going to be people listening who won't have any idea what you're talking about. Do you want to explain what onion routing is? Um, sure. So on a very high level, and thank you to Christian for drawing many pictures on the board at Chaincode to really get me through this one. Um, but in short, if I want to send a payment to Christian and it's going to go from me to a couple of different parties in between, instead of um, doing what the internet does and saying, hey guys, I want to send a payment to Christian. Here's Christian's address. Please, will you just do your best to send it? And everyone on the internet, this is our IP forwarding does. They just sort of look up his address and try and send it in the general direction of where he is. And that's not very good for privacy because then every single person who sent this packet along the route knows that I was sending it to Christian and they can quite easily look back and see, okay, this was, this was propagated through this route. And now the way we do it on the Lightning Network is different because instead of saying, okay, here's my end destination, I as the sender look at the Lightning Network and I try and figure out the route I'm going to take to Christian. And I know you've discussed this in a previous pod, so I won't go into it too much. But once I've created that 
uh, route of hops. I actually take each hop and encrypt it with a key that belongs to the hop on that route. So, and then I take them and I put all of them inside of each other and create what's called a very big onion. And then I send it to the first person along the route. And they only have the first key. So they use that to decrypt the first layer of the onion. And they can see that it was sent from me and they can see it needs to go to the next person. But they don't know whether there were any hops before me and they don't know whether the next hop is the last hop or are there are many more hops after. And we also do a really nice check in the Lightning Network where we actually rewrap up this onion to keep it the same size. So you can't get a really small onion from me and say, oh, look, this clearly is going to terminate the next hop. We keep it a constant size as we forward it along. So it takes every little hop and it's just unwrapped. You know where it came from, you know where it's going, but you don't know anything in between. It's the same way that it's the same thing that Tor uses. Okay. Probably a, a question for you, Christian, in that we know some services block CoinJoin uh, UTXOs. Do we ever worry there'll be a risk that UTXOs that have been associated with uh, creating lightning transactions may eventually be blocked by certain services because it's seen as uh, a way to gain privacy. It seems like any service in Bitcoin that is used to gain some form of privacy uh, becomes something that regulators are scared about. Um, Can you identify UTXOs that have been used for people to transact on the Lightning Network, or is it just a, a, a transaction? Is it just a, something that's created on the base chain and nobody knows? Um, that currently mostly depends on uh, on your own usage of, of the Lightning Network. Um, so for looking at the uh, footprint that a Lightning channel leaves on, a, uh, on the blockchain, it basically is just a multisig. There is a number of, uh, uh, of good reasons why you would want to have a multisig. Uh, for example, to secure your own funds, to basically have shared custody over, over some funds. And uh, Lightning is but one use case for that. Now, when you close a channel, um, then we have a second footprint on, uh, on, on the Bitcoin net, uh, uh, blockchain. And that might give away some information about whether that was a channel or not. In fact, I myself am collecting this information to basically see how the network grows and how the performance of the network is. So to, to better inform our specification uh, approaches on the success probabilities of channels being closed correctly or incorrectly or, uh, or things like that. So if we, have, if we mutually agree on closing a channel, then there is very little telling, uh, telling uh, an observer that this was actually a lightning channel. Um, this is simply because we, uh, when we set up the channel, we created a two of two multisig output, and when we close the channel, we just spend that two of two multisig. There is nothing special about this uh, about this closing transaction. It just looks like any other transaction, and so that's uh, that's the let's say happy path. Um, now, if we if we start doing things like unilateral closes because our our counterparty went away, and I want to, I need to get my money out of out of this channel. Um, then there already is some uh, uh, some indications that this was indeed a channel, um, and specifically, it uh, there there is a timeout involved and a uh, and a script structure that will tell an observer, yes, this is a lightning channel, or this is very likely to be a lightning channel. Um, even worse, if we have a, a, a cheating party 
then it becomes very clear that uh, uh, that this was a lightning channel because uh, the other uh, the counterparty will retaliate against this cheating attempt and will claim all of the funds in that in that channel. So the more collaborative we are, the fewer traces we leave uh, we leave on chain, and uh, uh, and the less cooperative we are, the more we are giving away our our privacy. Now. This could be used uh, in future to actually uh, to actually say, okay, no, these these funds are tainted or not, um, but uh, it is basically a race between us and uh, and whoever is uh, uh, is trying to enforce these uh, things, right? If we manage to taint all of the coins by being at some point involved in a lightning channel, then uh, they'd be out of business if uh, if they were to do something like this. The more we normalize the use of lightning, the less they, uh, the, these bad actors can actually use that information to say, "Oh no, this this is bad money that should not be uh, that should not be accepted." Uh, furthermore, in future week we can actually improve that by uh, by using Taproot and Schnorr signatures. So at that point, we won't even see that these are two of two multisigs. It will just be a completely normal transaction that looks like any other transaction. And so with these, uh, with these incremental improvements, we can also in, in improve the privacy of the channels themselves. Okay. Um, we're going to get into some quite technical details, and that's where I have to obviously be honest that Ben, my producer, helped me prepare some of this because uh, a lot of it goes over my head and I'll do my best to understand it. But Carla, my, my basic understanding is uh, is okay for the next question in that what I understand about Bitcoin is there can be multiple implementations, but most people are using Core. Um, what is the state of Lightning? I know again there can be multiple implementations, but is is mostly when people mostly using the Lightning Labs implementation, or is there a bit more of a an even spread? I don't have very up to date numbers with that, but I think a research paper came out um, that about sixty five or seventy percent of the network is currently using LND, um, because in terms of privacy, when we use these different implementations, there are slightly different signatures that all of us leave be it a different default value or recently I saw something that Sea Lightning sets a, some like funny alias name and you can pick, figure out that a node is a Sea Lightning node if it uses one of the words on the alias generator list. So there are these really small things that having different implementations uh, will affect privacy. If people start to set their own defaults and really manage their nodes quite differently, I think that will change. Um, and in terms of the comparison with Core, I think that the reason most people use Bitcoin Core, first of all, is because the code sort of is the protocol, whereas in Lightning, we have the bolts and we all do our best to abide by them. So we have a much we have a much more formal sort of consensus system, even though Lightning doesn't need global consensus, which is why it's much easier for us to have different implementations uh, versus Bitcoin Core, where if you have a break from consensus, it's actually pretty catastrophic for everyone who has been broken off from the main network. Christian, just on that, just to add to that, are there any particular risks? I mean, I obviously don't understand stuff like this, but are there any particular risks with multiple implementations whereby I, I know these are interoperable, but like if when I'm when I get the explanations of how the Lightning Network works, there's a lot of complexity behind there. There's a lot of complexity that's being built into the system to make it work. Are there any particular risks in having multiple implementations that things aren't interoperable? There are mistakes that happen. 
Yeah, I think the the key differentiation between uh, between the base layer and and Lightning lies exactly in how big the group is that needs to reach consensus. Uh, when we're talking Bitcoin on chain, then uh, we're talking about tens of uh, tens of thousands of users that all need to agree on a certain value, and where a slight misinterpretation of the rules might ever actually end up splitting the network in in multiple parts that are unable to reconcile at any point in future, which is a catastrophe when it, uh, uh, when when it comes to a, a monetary system, of course. And we've we've seen these kinds of things where the description didn't match what was actually happening. Back in 2011, I was I was actually trying to build my own implementation of uh, of Bitcoin, and uh, so we had to go and uh, and base. <laughs> we we actually had to go in and look exactly at how Bitcoin did what it did, and we found a couple of discrepancies where uh, where the code definitely did not what it uh, what basically the label on the tin was saying, uh, like uh, the uh, object uh, check multisig operator, which for some reason took one argument more. And if you didn't implement that same bug in exactly the same way then you would come to a different conclusion than Bitcoin Core would. And suddenly you, uh, you wouldn't be in agreement anymore with the rest of the network. So you'd basically be inadvertently forking off the network. Uh, this is then compounded by the fact that even if we have a very, specific, uh, very detailed uh, description of what the protocol does, there is no way for us to actually verify that multiple implementations do the same thing in all cases. So that's that's a research topic uh, that that has been worked on in computer science for decades now so I'm I don't think we're going to solve it quite easily right now now when we talk about the lightning network this is uh, this is completely different right the group that has to come to an agreement is the two of us and uh, and so worst case scenario if we have a, uh, uh, an incompatibility then we uh, it's just the two of us that that might end up in uh, in a stalemate, and we also have the backup mechanism of going back to the Bitcoin chain and letting the Bitcoin blockchain uh, resolve this conflict of or di a difference in opinion. And so, uh, we actually have this way of dropping back on chain. And funnily enough, that's that's what uh, what we do in most cases. Is oh, we don't know where, what the current state is. Oh, let's. Let's have the Bitcoin blockchain resolve that for us, and uh, and the Bitcoin blockchain, of course, does not have this backup system, so it needs to be absolutely bulletproof. Um, and so there is there is this difference both in the size of the consensus, but also in the in the backup systems that we have available. And uh, therefore, for Lightning, we chose to go for a much more um, a much more specification driven effort where. Uh, where we write down the uh, how things should be working, uh, and then based on that we can build multiple implementations that um, that adhere to this uh, specification. And if two implementations disagree, well then we go back to the specification and we can say, okay, um, this is how it should have been done. Um, this implementation did it wrong, so we have we have a specific set of actions that we can go to and and fix this. And uh, and if the specification doesn't say anything about this, well, then we need to patch that hole and make it more precise so that any future implementations will not run into the same issue.
Next up, I talked to Christian and Carla more about Lightning Privacy, but before that, I have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. And do you know what? I was using it last time I was out in El Salvador because I had to get some money. I had to pay a bill with one place that wouldn't take Bitcoin, the one place in El Zante. So I needed some dollars and I went to the ATM. And do you know what? I used my Exodus Wallet. It was so easy because they crushed the UX. This is why I am happy to recommend Exodus to friends and family and you guys. Now, Exodus gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in a beautiful application. But with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself. Head over to Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, we have my friends over at Casa who have built the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin because forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks. There are too many ways for you to fuck this up and lose your Bitcoin or have some hacker steal that from you. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again because Casa have created a multi-sig wallet that allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And these are wallets you get to distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes errors and vulnerabilities now if you want to ask me more about this you can hit me up in dms or emails because i've been a customer for a year now and i love the product i'm renewing of course i'm renewing there is no better time to upgrade your bitcoin security and you get total peace of mind you can find out more about this at keys.casa which is k-e-y-s dot c-a-s-a and this week we finish with sportsbet.io the best place for online gaming because they accept bitcoin and with the olympics now on sportsbet.io has you covered They have prepared an amazing calendar for you where you can complete daily missions and get rewards in return. All you have to do is complete the mission of the day. Once done, you'll get the reward of the next day. So hurry up. You can join them between July the 21st, which is today on August the 8th, and enjoy the Olympics even more with sportsbet.io. So just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to check this out, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. All right, well, we're going to get into some of the more technical stuff now. As we go through this, Carla, one of the things I want to uh, I want us to do is I like to use Bitcoin without having to think about too much of the complexities. I like to use it like I use PayPal or Visa or anything. I just not even think about it. So when I go to the shop and I buy something, I just use my Apple Pay or put my scan my card and everything just works. I don't have to think about everything in the background. I kind of want the same with Bitcoin sometimes, right? I... If if I need to send Christian a thousand dollars of Bitcoin, he sends me a Bitcoin address. I just send it and don't think about everything in the background. When I'm in El Zonte and I'm buying a cup of coffee, again, I don't really want to think about it. I just want to scan the QR code or scan the invoice and pay it. A lot of time when things get explained to me about the Lightning Network and how the different things work, I'm like, is this something I need to be aware of, or is this just how it works? And you're explaining it to me, but I don't really need to care. And and the reason I want to like separate these is because we've got a range of people listening there'll be someone like you Carla who understands all of this so when it's being explained you'll get it all and there's other people who'll be listening be like holy shit is this something I need to be aware of do I need to understand how this works the way these channels open and close and the rule sets so it's really good to give a guidance on whether this is something someone needs to be aware of or this is just how it works in the background does that make sense yeah of course I think um it's for most things it's like a 50-50 case of you always asking a bunch of nerds how these things work. So of course we want to talk about them. And yeah. some of the things people need to know about, some of the things people need to know about right now, but not always. So I'll try and make the distinction. All right. Well, we're going to work through a list that Ben has provided me. Thank you, Ben Prentice. You're amazing. Okay. So the first thing he's put on my list to talk about is jamming. 
and HTLC spamming. So I think it's good to explain what it is, how this works, and what you guys are doing to prevent this. Um, sure. So when we talk about HTLC jamming or spamming or whatever we call it, it is on a very high level, if someone decided they wanted to grief the Lightning Network, they can send a bunch of payments with junk pre-images. So the secret that you use to claim the money on Lightning is called a pre-image. But basically, they send a bunch of junk payments through the network. And they create all those onions and they forward them through. And maybe they could do this on a very high level and just sort of send tons of payments through the whole network. Maybe they could do this on a specific level and send all of the payments through your node. Um, and the reason that they can do this, it's a lot like the Bitcoin base chain back in the day before we had minimum relay fee and a bunch of these things, is that there's no uh, cost when a payment fails on the Lightning Network. If you send that uh, payment all the way through and it gets to the end and they decide to fail it back, there's no expense fee, there's no routing fee charged. And that I believe is quite intentional because part of what's cool about Lightning is that you get to make micropayments. And it's also quite difficult to route. So if you have to suddenly start to pay every single time you fail to route, you might end up, you know, that's a terrible user experience. You don't want to go and pay for a coffee in El Zonte and have to pay a few cents because your payment failed. That's like a very, very bad user experience. But because we don't have this cost associated with failure, if someone chose to, they could send a bunch of HLCs through the network, lock up someone's liquidity. So a channel only has a certain size. They could fill up that channel with HLCs. Or they could just send a bunch of really small HTLCs because the channel can only hold a set number of HTLCs and then hold them for quite a long period of time because the bad case of a lightning payment, we wait a few blocks to see whether it's going to resolve for time, for time up. In the good case, it goes through near instantly. Um, but in that bad case, which they can exploit by sending a payment to themselves and just holding it for as long as possible, you can actually jam up some of the channels in the network. Um, whether anyone's actually done this yet, I don't think so. Um, and to the end user, if you're not running a big routing node, if you're not like Fold or Strike who's using this on a big operational level, this is definitely in the class of things you don't need to care about. Uh, you would probably see, oh, I can't send a lightning payment right now. That's quite annoying. Um, in terms of ways to address this attack, I think it's very similar to back in the day when people were sort of having the big block argument and decided to spam the base chain with a bunch of really low fee transactions. They decided to glue up everyone's mempool and for a while the network got a bit stuck. But then those transactions were clear. The developers had a look at it and said, okay, we're going to introduce a minimum relay fee so that if someone chose to try and gum up the mempool, then they actually are going to end up paying this minimum fee. And so far as I know, no one's ever done it again. Um, ideally, we would find a solution to this before it happens, because it's never nice for things to break live and have to scramble to fix it. But at the moment, there are just a few different proposals as to how to fix it, because we wouldn't want to add this cost to routing. It seems like it would really suck. It would be quite a bad user experience. Uh, we probably don't want to do something like rate limiting, because then an attacker can still sort of degrade the network quite badly. Um, so that one's still a work in progress. Uh, but in terms of end user and needing to care about it, um, I was uh, an econ student as well as a computer science student. And I studied, I did a year of economics and I thought I was going to change the world of economics. So thank goodness I found Bitcoin because that was never going to happen. Um, but I did this great course. It was the, the economics of war, terror and crime and looking at the people we label as criminals, terrorists, etc. 
and like using these economic studies to prove that these people are rational actors. Although you think someone that does these things might be crazy, they're actually doing something with a very specific cost-benefit analysis in mind. They're making rational economic decisions doing what you might think is an irrational thing. So when I think about, you know, maybe someone's going to jam up the Lightning Network with HCLCs, they are going to have to spend a bit of money to do it. Maybe they'll be able to tell their friends that Lightning sucks once they've done it. But there isn't really an economic incentive to do that right now, especially when we're in a world where you can just send someone a phishing email and they'll give you their seed. There's just very little incentive to make this kind, you know, like you go for the weakest target, you always do, and it's a rational thing to do. And if your objective, even if your objective is a grudge against the Lightning Network because you're a B-casher, it's much easier to, to make other attacks on people. Um, so it's a theoretical problem that people are working on. Christian's probably got a better idea of some of the more up-to-date solutions for it but I don't think it's an issue for the end user as it stands. Yeah, so uh, one, one rationale for, for, uh, for causing such, a, such an attack would, for example, be one routing provider trying to pin out the, the competition, right? So there, there are some scenarios where this attack might actually be rational, um, but in, in this case, again, the end user would not, uh, would not see the impact because basically it's these routing nodes fighting among themselves uh, but for their own for their traffic, so um, they likely will will even benefit from from this kind of uh, thing going on because uh, because their routes will uh, might even become more efficient. There might be more redundancy. The network as a whole might become more resilient. And uh, overall, the more uh, the more we uh, sort of remove single points of failure, that might be target of such an attack the more resilient the network as a whole uh, becomes. So if you are under attack, it, it might be bad for you, but for the network as a whole, I, I think it might it might actually end up being, uh, being a net positive. As for countermeasures, um, there, uh, there have been proposals uh, basically to start unwinding the privacy a bit uh, on, a, on a per use uh, case. Uh, so this is a proposal that Rusty had a couple of years ago where if an HTLC, if a payment is stuck for a long time, and I basically look at my watch and say, "Oh, this is this is not good. I want to I want to either make progress on this or I I, I want to remove this because it's never going to happen," then I will ask the next person in uh, that I forwarded this to, "Hey, uh, where is the stuck? Now provide me with a proof that you've done something to uh, to free these funds that are currently stuck." Or I'm going to close the channel with you. Um, so uh, by doing this, you, you basically can follow the the, the, um, the trail of the of the transaction itself, incrementally learning more and more about the payment. Again, just because it is stuck, basically, locate the place where it uh, it got stuck, and if it was a malicious attempt by somebody to to hold these funds uh, uh, locked up. Um, then we can actually punish them by by basically uh, causing them a loss, a monetary loss in in the form of a channel being closed, for example. Um, this is one proposal that has uh, that that has seen some work, but uh, we've recently moved uh, more towards a uh, um, a more proactive way of of doing this by basically imposing a cost even to failed attempts by by having upfront payments. Um, so whenever, whenever I forward the payment to you, uh, I will also have to transfer some 
money that is independent from the success of the uh, of the payment uh, to the next hop. And by doing this, I basically I, I'm um, assuming that the worst case is going to happen, and and uh, then there is a cost associated with with a payment, and uh, and basically paying for that capacity that is being locked up in the worst case. Now, there is a lot of details in here. Uh, for example, if, uh, if we get this wrong, you might, uh, uh, you might always, as a routing node, be, uh, be able to get the upfront payment and basically reject everything. Uh, because, well, all I wanted was this small amount of money that I'm sure to get and not, not forward any payment. And on the other hand, we need to make this payment uh, proportional to the time that a pay uh, that a payment might be stuck. Um, so uh, me holding on to a payment or the funds in these channels for uh, a week should definitely cost more than me holding on to funds for two seconds that it actually takes to perform a real payment. And so there is a lot of details that we have to discuss and have to take into consideration when designing these things in order not to open new uh, new issues, uh, still being fair, and not uh, not sort of uh, sabotaging our uh, our actual use case, which is enabling fast payments using Bitcoin uh, that are settled immediately without weakening the uh, the privacy guarantees that we have, and uh, and basically without slowing down any of this and making it prohibitively expensive. So yeah, we, we are working on, on these proposals in the background, um, but so far we've not we've not found sort of the golden solution that, that we'd like to move forward on, but I'm hopeful that we will eventually get there. I'm pretty sure you will. Okay, so the next thing, Carla, that I find interesting that we're going to be talking about is probing and probing of balances and senders, recipients, because that sounds like the kind of thing chain analysis might try. They might be interested in looking at. Can you explain what what's going on here? Um, sure. So the concept of probing is pretty related to the idea of channel jamming, although you wouldn't do it at such a uh, extreme level as trying to shut down someone's entire channel. Uh, but the high level concept is that all Lightning channels that are public advertise their capacity. So say you have one Bitcoin in your channel, the Christian, everyone know on the network knows that you have one Bitcoin. But what they don't know is, is that one Bitcoin entirely on your side? Is some Have some of it been sent to Christian? What is the actual balance between the two of you in this channel? And that's intentionally kept private. And the reason that's kept private is, in theory, if we were to advertise these balances all the time, you would be able to trace payments through the network. Because if you saw 10 sats shift in my channel with you, then 10 sats shift in my channel with Christian, it's a fair assumption that I made a 10 sat payment to Christian and then we both lose our sender and receive a privacy. So that information is intentionally not revealed in Lightning, even though it would make routing like very, very simple and probably reduce our failures quite a lot. Uh, we do it for privacy. There's always a trade-off somewhere with privacy if you look hard enough. Um, so the concept of probing, if you were chain analysis and you say, okay, well, I would like to do this uh, tracing of payments through the network. And the way that I will do this is by trying to find out the balance on a specific channel and then apply the same attack to many channels in the network, trying to trace that 10 sat movement through the network. And the way you can do this is you send a few payments through a specific channel and you start with, say, the full capacity of the channel. 
And if that can route, it means that full Bitcoin was in the channel. But if it couldn't write, it means that somewhat less of that balance was available. So you send a smaller amount. So say you send half a Bitcoin. If half a Bitcoin goes through, you know that between half and one Bitcoin was on your side of the channel. And you can use something called a binary search to send various amounts through to very quickly and very efficiently narrow down on the amount that's in that check in that channel based on the failure you get because we return a specific failure when we say, oh, I can't route this, I don't have balance. So what you're doing is, Chain Analysis is doing is you're sending all these payments through a bunch of channels and basically searching, trying to narrow down their balance. And once you've done that to one channel, you need to also simultaneously be doing this to a bunch of channels because um, finding out the balance in isolation isn't really an interesting piece of information. Uh, you need to see this balance change through the network. And that, in theory, is a way that you could try to de-anonymize uh, senders and receivers. I'm not sure how much it works in practice, because when we change balances in the network, we do sometimes batch updates. So if there was a change of 100 sats between me and Peter, it doesn't actually mean that there was a 100 sat payment. It could have been two fives and a 90. And so even if chain analysis were able to send all of these payments through binary searching and get the balance change through the network, I think it becomes a pretty complex task pretty quickly to kind of try and divide this up into individual payments. So while you can certainly and incredibly trivially get the balance of one channel, uh, we did that at Chainco residency in you know under an hour with Willow Byrne, the ability to actually de-anonymize people and trace payments through the network, I think, will be a lot more challenging because suddenly you need to match up all these different amounts, all these different payments, which is actually quite a computationally hard thing to do, unless there's only one person using the Lightning Network, uh, which seems pretty implausible now. Um, so that balance attack does exist, but the again, the impact on the end user I don't think they can say to the government with a very high degree of certainty that they've broken privacy on Lightning. Yeah, so I I personally dislike the uh, framing as as probing as being an attack uh, so much because probing does have some very legitimate use cases as well. I mean, every time that we perform a payment, for example, we send out attempts of uh, of, uh, of payments and uh, and they either go through or they come back and under a certain point of view these are actually probes as well right we are probing whether we can use a channel for a certain payment or not and this turns out to be a very important part of the payment process itself so we we send out a partial payment to uh, to one side and then we get it back because some channel ha didn't have enough capacity and so uh, us learning some information about the the current channel capacity uh, of certain channels that we might end up using is actually really helpful because then we can we can split the payment in two and try two different routes and uh, and this actually is part of of our pr uh, payment process now i do agree when when you try to to pinpoint the exact balances of a channel for the purposes of basically uh, collating this information with what you know about other channels and then sort of tracing a payment uh, as such is, is definitely nefarious. Uh, and we, we should do everything we can to, to eliminate this. Um, and in a certain extent, we are. Uh, the, uh, for, for this attack to, to actually work, to identify payments, as Carla correctly said, is uh, we, we, have, we have update batching. So if uh, if multiple payments go through uh, through the same channel then they get batched into the same uh, the same 
balance change, and uh, uh, and an attacker would then have to basically disaggregate them again and sort of assign them, which is a computational very hard problem um, called the subset, uh, subset sum formula uh, computation. And uh, the uh, and and so the more traffic we have in the Lightning Network, the, the less possible it is for for an attacker to actually identify this. As Carlos said, when uh, when you only have one user in the network, it basically becomes trivial because you can assign any change to that user. Now, if we have tens of millions of users, then uh, the channels will be so busy that uh, that all of this information that that you might be able to collate among channels is so noisy that you can't really identify a single source of uh, for for this change. Uh, in addition, we do have limits on the uh, on the size of individual payments that we will forward, called the HTLC's uh, maximum size. And so, if your if your capacity is above this uh, this size, then you will not be able to basically infer that. Um, because the biggest payment you can ever make is, uh, is is basically ten, and if your balance is fifteen, then we can we can no, uh, go, uh, not go further than than ten. Um, in addition, we do have we do have some ideas of uh, uh, of randomizing this as well, right? Uh, if you collate information across multiple channels to basically uh, rebuild what the uh, what the actual payment is by introducing noise in the in those measurements, you can throw off an attacker that is trying to make this uh, uh, this uh, system. And uh, even if they were able to sort of attribute uh, every single channel change on the uh, on the uh, on the network uh, to to a payment, this noise would throw in an, enough uncertainty to actually make these uh, uh, these determinations absolutely pointless. And a third defense that we have is basically that probing is not instantaneous, right? Um, as explained, the uh, to probe a channel, you sort of send one payment, then you see, oh, it's too big, so I'll try a smaller payment. And so to probe a single channel, it will take a couple of seconds. Now multiply that by the number of channels we have, and to get a complete picture to be able to infer the entirety of the network, that's a very, very compute and resource intensive uh, uh, process. So because you are basically, you will have to have uh, about the same number of Bitcoins just to probe the network as the rest of the network as a whole. So all you can ever dream to do is probe a part of the network. And so anything that might start or end outside of that network you will not be able to infer correctly. And so I think we do have a pretty good picture. And the more users we get, the more unprecise these uh, things get. So I'm, I'm quite optimistic that this is going to work out. It's starting to sound to me, Carla, like these, much of these are really theoretical attacks and not things to be hugely concerned about yet, but it's still great that people are working on it. Um, I do want to ask about flood and loot and uh, a fee blackmail attack, just because it sounds kind of cool. Um, sure. I think flood and loot does specifically fall into the theoretical attack because it is sort of an apocalyptic version of something more specific that we're looking at in the spec. And that is the 
question of can we get the transaction to chain within a certain number of blocks? Because Lightning relies on this principle in many different ways. It relies on it for the penalty transaction if someone tries to cheat you. It relies on this to claim HTLCs, which are active in your channel, um, if you need to go to chain in the uncooperative case. And when that assumption that we can claim on chain in a certain number of blocks fails, the security, well, not the security, but there is a potential for loss of funds on Lightning. So what Flood and Loot looks at is a really um, extreme case where someone decides that they want to attack the Lightning network. They send, a, they have to open channels and they have to send HLC. So they do have to um, commit funds to to do this attack, although it is, you know, you can do it when fees are low on a Sunday night, so maybe not so many, but they need to be capital present to route these HTLCs because they need to initiate payments. And they send a whole lot of HTLCs through the network and then they just hold them and they wait for the timeout case to be hit. And in the timeout case, this attacking node will not uh, release the payment. So we will be forced to go on chain because the payment can't resolve. And the theory here is that if you have enough HTLCs that you can spread through the Lightning Network, you know when they're going to time out. So you can actually predict when you're going to congest the mempool because it's often very difficult to know exactly when you're going to congest the mempool. But if you can spread enough of these HTLCs, it'll all go on chain at the same time. You'll have a bunch of Lightning nodes that now need to claim their HTLC on chain, but the mempool's full because all these channels have been closed. Um, so now you as the attacker can come in and claim funds on one side and not allow people and people don't get into the chain on time to make that base assumption. I don't think the apocalyptic version of flood and loot is likely to happen. Um, I think that we need to engineer solutions for a full mempool because the lightning, the Bitcoin mempool is going to be full. Uh, and this is something that is like really actively being worked on in the spec right now in the individual case, because if we solve the individual case, assuming a full a full mempool, then we solve the flood and loot case, because it doesn't matter how the mempool was full. The mempool is full and we need to deal with it. That's why we have lightning. Anything to add to that question or did she just nail it? <laughs> that's that's a perfect explanation. Uh, I mean, it, uh, it, it it is a very, very nice combination of, of sort of using the lightning network to attack Bitcoin and then cashing in on the Lightning Network. Um, but I think we've, ha we've had to deal with, with these kinds of uh, mempool congestions issues for a while. And so by, by addressing the underlying problem, we can, uh, we can make, make this much, much safer and, uh, and basically give the ultimate solution for, uh, for all of this right away. Well, the, well the, the next question I wanted to ask you then really, Christian, is these potential attack vectors, are they all traditional... Uh, computer science attack vectors, attack vectors that people are aware of, or distributed systems, or specific to Lightning, or just a combination of everything. Because um, if they're specific to Lightning, I'm assuming there are perhaps unknown unknown attacks that people might be working on. I think um, they're probably a combination of of both. Right? We we are often able to take a take a what is seemingly a new attack in Lightning, and basically. Uh, reconcile it with with some existing theory in, in computer science, and and then from there use the proposed solutions that uh, that were uh, proposed like ten or fifteen years ago, and then make use of them to solve our actual problem in Lightning. But sometimes we do have we do have really novel issues that we that we might want to address. 
Um, one of these cases, for example, is uh, the uh, transaction pinning attack, which boils down to my counterparty being able to broadcast a transaction on my behalf, uh, might do so in, in a way that makes it really unlikely that this transaction is, is going to be confirmed. And similar to the flood and loot attack, that might then lead to me being, uh, being unable to recover some funds and basically the attacker uh, being able to, to take, uh, take the funds from me. The, so, so this is a very novel attack that, uh, um, that, as far as I know, we haven't seen in, uh, in anything computer science related so far. And so this is, this is also where, where it becomes really interesting for, for academics and, uh, and for researchers in general, is because where other people get afraid, we get excited, right? We, we see something that we can dig into and, and sort of try to come up with novel solutions and, uh, and basically then, then take something that, uh, that is very scary and, and make, it, make it exciting and find a clean and uh, nice solution. And so, so I, I find this very, uh, very interesting. And uh, yeah, so far we, we have a couple of, uh, of issues that are yet unaddressed, but they're mostly, mostly low priority, I would say. And having the specification process where we have a lot of eyes on, on whatever happens in, uh, in the specification and the proposed changes also helps us to identify these kinds of things very, very early on. So Antoine Riard, uh, for example, found the found this transaction pinning attack, and uh, and we've we've had some very constructive discussions in uh, internally, and that meant that a couple of proposals that were that would have fallen under this uh, um, sort of this umbrella of this attack would uh, uh, were discarded right away because well they would have been vulnerable. And so having many eyes on this and having many people working on this and many sort of uh, adversarial uh, minds working on this is also a, a great benefit of, of the Lightning community. Carla, just bringing it back to how I use the Bitcoin network, um, I operate an Umbral node and I'm considering testing a Raspberry Blitz and having to play with that. Uh, but I have a Lightning node with my Umbral setup. Uh, I'm not using it just yet. I still haven't fully played with it just because I... I was away for a good eight weeks after I set it up. But am I at any risks myself with regards to exposing my IP address to my node? Is there anything there I, at a personal level I should be doing? I think the risk with an IP address is that if someone like Chain Analysis were listening to the gossip that we send around the Lightning Network, there is a reasonable expectation that a government or a surveillance company would be able to link your IP address to your real-world identity because you pay a service provider, that service provider knows your name, they know your credit card. Um, so I think that, that is one of the big privacy considerations for Lightning, specifically when you have public channels. When you have private channels, your IP address won't be exposed to the network, um, which is why it's really good. I think Umbral actually runs on Tor by default, as does Raspberry Blitz, if I remember correctly. So then you are covered in that your IP address is not being advertised. And I think it's amazing that these node packaging solutions are actually going with Tor first because it is a hard ask for a regular user to set up Tor and get going with that level of security and privacy. Um, yeah, so I think you're okay. The only thing, if you're opening public channels, you still do need to be aware that the UTXOs you use 
could be associated with that Tor address um, because they are still clustered. But other than that, if you're using something which is using Tor, you don't need to worry as much. See, that's typical. I had no idea I had Tor and, and I was using it by default, but I'm I'm okay with that level of my uh, unnerdy knowledge because uh, I, I kind of just want to be in that place where things just work for me, which I've always talked about. And I'm not kind of ashamed about it. And But it doesn't mean I don't appreciate all the good work that people like yourselves do or the Umbro guys do in, in getting this together. Um, I do kind of have a closing out question for you, Carla, but I mean, there's lots of things Ben sent me, but and there's lots of other things that I could have asked you and talked about, but is there anything specifically with regards to privacy on the Lightning Network I haven't asked you about that you wish I had? Well, I think it is worth uh, mentioning that the privacy risk for receivers on Lightning is slightly different to the model for senders. So when you are sending, you get to create that onion yourself and you have very, very good privacy on Lightning. Uh, but when you are receiving, you do give someone an invoice which tells them how they can make this payment to you in the network. And because they have to do this pathfinding and they potentially have to uh, deliver payments over private channels, you do actually give them some information. Um, so specifically, you give them your public key at the moment. And if you have some private channels, you also tell them about your private channel so that they know how to route to you along those private channels. And those two things, I think, are fairly well known by now. Uh, Christian has a great concept called rendezvous routing, which I think would help to address some of these issues because you then don't need to give your public key or your private channels. You instead just give a partial onion to the person who's paying you and saying, hey, this is the last bit of the route and they don't need to know exactly where they're going to. So that's um, an important one to, to mention. I think what's... What's nice about Lightning is when you think about privacy and security on the whole, there's lots of things that are to be done. So, I mean, I'll maybe play Peter for a second and ask Christian a question. But in a world where we have all the things we want, what are we worried about? Like in a magical world where Taproot and Schnorr have activated perfectly, we've upgraded the Lightning network, we have rendezvous routing, we have PTLCs, which we didn't even touch on in this talk. Like, my question is, where are, now what are we worried about? After we've had a huge party, we've popped the champagne, we've all gotten over our seven-day hangover. Um, because the one thing I would say is still the on-chain concept we do need to be thinking about, and I think people could think about a bit more, the way we handle those UTXOs, because most implementations just use every random UTXO as it comes to them. Uh, but what would you say, in the ideal world, when this has all happened, what are we still actually concerned about? I think that we'll come up with some interesting questions. Uh, <laughs> now, this, this is this is a very, a very bubbly space, and so uh, I think both on the attacker side or the adversarial thinking side, as well as the as the uh, uh, implementer side, we will we will always have a laundry list of stuff that we that we'd like to do. Um, for example, we are now talking about route blinding instead of rendezvous routing. Uh, we're talking about maybe eventually having L2, maybe doing some uh, some stuff with channel factories. Um, so I don't think we'll ever be done. Uh, and uh, I'm not saying that because because I I think that's a sad thought, but because that that's what what excites everybody, right? We we're, we're all geeks in the, in the end, and I and I think this is this is what uh, what we end up discussing and what we end up. Uh, thinking about and and we will not uh, uh, run out of uh, of ideas to work on. Um, 
Now, to the outside, that might look like uh, uh, look like we this this is all doom and gloom, and everybody everybody's under attack, and uh, nobody's safe. And but but we are we are basically inquisitive minds that are looking into uh, into how we ourselves would break this, and how we could defend against this. And and so I think. It's a, it's a very positive signal when there's a new paper coming out that, that says, oh, we found this new attack. And uh, for me, that means it's, it's time to dig in. Um, and for, uh, for people, uh, people seeing uh, this paper, it might mean, oh, we're all doomed. Um, but the issue is uh, we're doomed when there's no paper, uh, when suddenly uh, things start breaking, when suddenly there is something that is not working and we can't explain it. And so that's when I'd be worried, not, not when, when there's a new uh, attack being talked about, because attacks are just open questions, open challenges for us to come up with solutions. And I think for me, Carla, I, I look forward to the show where I come back and I say to you, you know, talk to me about privacy on the Lightning Network. And you say, oh, no, it's, it's all done. Everything is perfectly private. I mean, there's all this technical stuff in the background, but you don't have to think about anything. Everything's perfectly private. And I'm like, okay, we record a two-minute show and we're done. We, we go and have that. How much do you drink, by the way, for a seven-day hangover? Because uh, <laughs> No, no, I'm just okay. That's pretty brutal. And no, I know, as I get, as I get older, okay. they get longer. So I assume it's just linear. They just keep going, right? I'm only on about two uh, days now, so... No, it, once you start getting to the three days ones, you start to drink a lot less, and then you start to think about you know other issues. Hey, Christian, Christian, are you there? Or are you hungover? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I'm totally hungover on on water from a Guinness glass. <laughs> I'm just sunburned. All right, listen, I do have a closing question for you, Carla. Uh, by the way, you've been absolutely brilliant. I don't know if you how many podcasts you've done since I've seen you, but you've absolutely nailed it. Christian's faith in you was uh, fully deserves. But do you just want to talk about what you're working on right now? Do you want to tell people what you're doing? Um, sure, I'll keep it short. Uh, I work on Lightning Loop. So if anyone's experiencing any issues or has any feedback on that, please do pop issues on our GitHub. Uh, Lightning Labs is hiring. Got to throw that one in. If you are an organization who are looking to support free and open source development, please check out Brink. Um, and other than that, yeah, my Twitter DMs are open. Nothing bad has happened so far. So if anything was unclear or anyone's interested in getting stuck in on this, so uh, hit me up on Twitter. What is your Twitter? Uh, it's at actually Carla Casey. Because Carla Casey is a scammer, so don't don't follow her. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. Do you know what I also think we should do? I think we should get you a meaty and was it Fabian? Was that his name? Yes, Resi reunion. We've been dying for one. We did like all calls during lockdown and all of that. So Resi reunion would be amazing. Yeah, Resi reunion. We'll get we'll um we'll we'll get um. God, why why am I lost his name for a second? John? It's going to be so embarrassing. Oh, Newbury. Get John Newbury back with us and the three of you. We'll do a reunion, talk about it, and try and encourage people to make donations towards open source and uh, development because I think that's obviously a, a permanent and important topic that uh, I'm actually talking to John, Pef- uh, John Pfeffer about later today as well. So, well, brilliant. Lovely to see you again, Carla. Uh, I'm glad to see you absolutely crushing it. And uh, you must be very proud, Christian, and good to see you again. Um, Christian, tell people where they can follow you. 
Yeah, I'm uh, on Twitter at uh, S-N-Y-K-E, Snike, uh, and see Decker almost everywhere else. So uh, reach out to me if you have any questions or if you're interested in just talking lightning. Uh, I always enjoy talking tech. Well, keep up the amazing work. Honestly, uh, for people like me who are quite challenged on the technical side, a little bit lazy as well in my understanding, just to go out to somewhere like El Salvador and to be able to use the network every day perfectly. I've never had a single failed payment when I've been there. Um, it's down to the great work of people like you. And uh, I, uh, I get to live on the shoulder of what I think are technical giants. So I think you deserve a lot of credit for the amazing work you do to contribute to the network. Thank you both for coming on and talking me through this. Um, keep doing it, keep crushing it, and hopefully see you soon. Will do. All right, what did you think of that? Did you get a bit lost? I know I did. Now, Christian and Carla and all the people working on the Lightning Network, they blow me away all the time. I'm just so thankful we have people like this working on problems that seem almost impossible to fix. I mean, I just honestly, I, I'm struggling even to put into words how impressed I am with these people, the level of knowledge they have, the technical details they have and their dedication to Bitcoin. And some of these people could go to Google and probably own gazillions in shares and share options, but they're not. They're working on the most important technology in the world, which is Bitcoin. So massive shout out to everyone working on the Lightning Network, especially Christian and Carla Day. Thanks so much for coming on the show and helping me with this. Now, if you've got any questions or you want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. You can also jump into my Telegram group. And also thanks to all of you for supporting the show. It's been another wild year. I always feel very blessed to be else to do this but if you do want to support the show you can just do that thing for me that i ask every week head over to apple Podcasts, leave me a review hopefully you think i deserve five stars hopefully 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 anyway if you've got any other questions you want to reach out to me as i said just hit me up hit me up on my telegram hit me up on twitter if it's open to you and drop me an email have a great rest of your week and i will see you all on friday 